If you will, be turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 12. We'll begin there here in a moment. I covet your prayers uh, this upcoming week. I'll be um, traveling on Friday to Albany, Georgia. I've been invited to speak on their friends and family day at the Dawson Road congregation. On Sunday, I'll be speaking uh, three times. It's also the beginning of their gospel meeting. They'll have uh, somebody else speak on Monday and Tuesday, uh, but I'll be speaking on Monday or Sunday uh, during the Bible class at both worship assemblies. So I'm going to be leaving on Friday uh, right after school. I'm going to stay with the uh, preacher and his family. Uh, the preacher, um, if you remember a couple months ago, back I guess it was in January, we had two visitors uh, down from Albany. It's that Her father is the preacher there. And uh, his, her sister, the preacher's son, is my best friend from college. And so uh, they invited me to come down and be with them. So I'm going to leave Friday and spend Saturday with them, visit with them, and then preach Sunday and drive home. So covet your prayers and the uh, great uh, outcome that this meeting can be. And maybe it will be edifying to the congregation and encourage them. Uh, this morning I'm going to do something... Uh, that I, I like to do time to time is preach other people's sermons. And I like to give credit to credit's due. And uh, the reason that I'm preaching this sermon, I, didn't, I never even heard of this sermon until about a month ago. Uh, one of the projects Luke and I are working on is something for uh, polishing the pulpit and looking at old sermons and, and things like that. We'll be announcing uh, that project soon. Uh, and so he said, hey, we need to transcribe these sermons. So I have to listen to the sermon, put them in outline form, and I'm like, man, this is too good of a sermon. i got to preach this. And so uh, the, the sermon is, is entitled Overcoming Mediocrity. And it's by Andrew Connolly. I don't, I don't know if anybody in this room ever heard of Andrew Connolly. Uh, he was a preacher out in Texas for the most part. I think he preached a little bit in Oklahoma. Uh, but he gave this sermon at the Freed Hardman Lectureship, uh, Freed Hardman College uh, back then, in 1961, uh, there's a, one of my uh, friends and preachers, Paul Sane. Many of you might know Paul Sane. He uh, has a publishing, publishing company. Uh, he said he was in the audience that night that Andrew Connolly preached this sermon. He says, and it changed my life forever. And there was another uh, gentleman that kind of said, hey, same thing. And he began preaching after he heard this sermon on mediocrity. Now, I'm, I'm not going to present it as good as him, but the content is what's important and so uh, I hope we can study this this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 12, the American Standard Version of the Bible says this, For we are, we are not bold to number to compare ourselves with certain of them to commend themselves, but themselves measure themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves with themselves are without understanding. And basically what this passage is saying is saying, Hey, you know, we, we compare ourselves to other people, and when we compare ourselves to other people, many times we say, hey, I do more than that person. Hey, I, I got to be doing better than that person. I, I do this and they don't even do this. And, and that's what really mediocrity is all about. Mediocrity is saying, hey, I can, I'm going to compare myself to this person that's lower, that's less standard than me. And because of that, I look at them and say, hey, I'm better than them. I, I, I got to be more righteous than them and all these things. And that's what the mediocre child of God does. The mediocre child of God finds someone less Attractive more less than that what they do and compares compares themselves to them. They will not compare themselves to someone as strong as them or stronger than them because that would downplay them. 
In Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Jesus there talking to the seven churches of Asia, and he says this, I know thy works, and I know that thou art neither hot nor cold. I, w- I would have you be cold or hot, because thou art lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, and I spew thee out of my mouth. And here in the context, many times when you know, we talk about it, we got to be useful, right? we got to be useful. But here, when we talk about mediocrity, we don't need to settle for things that are a mediocrity in this world. You know, we have the best cars. We have the best clothes. You know, we go to the store and we want to buy the best thing. If we don't like it, if it's not meeting our quality, what do we do? We exchange it, right? We we got Amazon, right? If we get in the mail and it's got something, it's got a little wrinkle in it, it's got a dent in it, we mail it back. We want the best thing in life. But what about when it comes to spiritual matters? We just say, you know what? It's spiritual matters. We give it mediocrity. But the things in the world, we don't do that. We order food, and if it's cold, we send it back. If we order a steak, and we want it medium, uh, medium, and it's well done, we're going to send it back because that's not what we want. We don't expect mediocrity and everything else except when it comes to religious matters. The only thing we settle for in mediocrity is our spiritual matters. Mediocrity is a halfway point, a halfway measure. It is the best of the best, nor the worst of the worst. It is the middle ground where average is found. You know, I teach school, and he said this in his sermon. I can relate to it very well. The average student settles for a C. When they are very capable of making an A or a B. You know, I'm teaching a support class where I'm really not, I'm their teacher, but I'm not teaching them the content. I just kind of support the content which they're teaching. And I'll, every day I go in and I say, hey, I want you to look at your grades, see what work you're missing. And when you get that, when you decide what you're missing, come to me, and I'll print off what you're missing, and we can work on it. You know how many times those kids come up to me? Two or three. And I, and I tell them every day, I say, it's your grade, it's your responsibility, you do it yourself. I, I've given you the printouts, I've highlighted what you're missing, you need to come be responsible and tell me what you're missing so you can print it out. And I have about two students out of 12 that take advantage of that. You know why? They see that grade of a C. And they're fine with it. They settle for mediocrity when they are much better, much better quality students than that. They give their child that, their child because the norm is Mr. Average. But this is not what God wants. Mediocrity is found in, in way too many Christians and way too many congregations in the United States today. We meddle, we wallow in stagnation of mediocrity. We are bored, uh, concerning tomorrow because we are dissatisfied with Today, I want us to look at one point this morning, and really I think there's there's two points to this lesson. Number one is the anticipation of mediocrity, the anticipation of mediocrity. The reason that people are mediocre today, the reason that we settle for mediocrity is because there are too many too many of us that use that are used to mediocre. The reason we settle for mediocrity is because why? Everything around us is just mediocre. It's just okay. It's just the average. That's what that's what we got to do to get by. And this can be found in everywhere and in everything, especially when it comes to the church. In this story, he's talking about his. In this sermon, he talks about his wife going to the store, and his wife goes in the store. And I guess Brother Connolly was a rather tall man, and he had to go to a special uh, store to buy his shirts. And he goes in. And he says, "I need a box of shirts." And the store clerk says, well, uh, if you're going to order that size, you must be ordering for a giraffe. And his wife got mad and walked out. And it was because of his mediocre attitude. It's because she, he didn't get that sale that day. 
But how many times do we walk in a store, we ask for something that we need, we need help with something, and the person, the sales clerk, the, the sales representative, or whoever we are, they just do enough to get by. They're just doing it mediocre. Instead of going above and beyond. You know, you know when you do get good service, when you do get that good service, how thankful are you for it? You give them a good tip, right? You praise them for whatever they've done. Because too many times in the world today we satisfy and settle for mediocrity. People are too satisfied with far less than the best. You know, people today want to work a 40-hour a week pay, but only work 20 hours worth of work. And that's because of mediocrity. They want to raise the spies, not putting in the work. But the same is true with the kingdom of God. Recently, uh, there was a gospel meeting and he put his Bible on the podium and laid his, uh, and it, he, he says this in the sermon, he lays his Bible on the, the podium and he looks and there's a sermon outline book. You know, those sermon outline books, I'm sure uh, y'all have some here in the library and it's just nothing but sermon outlines, sermon outlines. And, and it was just a, a book of all these sermon outlines. And so the brother Conley takes it to the preacher and he says, hey, preacher, What's this doing? He goes, that's the best book in all the brotherhood. But all he was doing was just preaching those sermons. He wasn't studying. He wasn't preparing. He was just reciting what he was. He was even too lazy to make a photocopy of that. He was just simply doing that. The tragedy was the man was preaching, preaching those sermons and didn't even take time to study. And that is mediocrity. Go with me to Luke chapter 14. Let's look at some passages that, 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 uh, I want you to look and see if you can find mediocrity in these passages. We're talking about uh, mediocrity and settling for these things, but see if Jesus ever settled for mediocrity. Look at Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse number 25 and verse number 26. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. Notice what it says here. Now a great multitude went to him, and he turned aside and said to them, If anyone does not come after me and does not hate his own father and mother... And his wife and his brothers and children, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Where do you see the mediocrity in that passage? You know, Jesus here did not have to define what it means to be hated or hate, if you're using the New King James Version. The idea of hate means to love less, right? Here in this passage, he says, if anyone does not come unto me and love less his own father and his mother, his wife and children and brothers, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Does you see mediocrity anywhere in that passage? I see anything but that. I see you've got to give your best. You've got to give your all. You've got to make sure that your priorities are in your life. We want to water this down. We are afraid to stand up and lay it out there with fear because and favor because we are mediocre. What about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We have, we can't put, we, uh, put everything else first in our lives but God. We seek everything else in this life first but God. I mean, you go out to the ball fields today and you just take a casual drive. How many people are going to be at the ball fields on Sunday morning? A bunch. Why? Because this isn't what they are seeking first. We have, we have been coasting instead of thriving. We've been just kind of sitting back, let on cruise control, Coasting until Jesus comes back, but instead of driving and thriving like we need to be doing, we cannot find mediocrity in these in these passages except the opposite. The cost was too high for the multitudes, 
and they decide to follow him no more. You see there, in verse 27, whatever uh, does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And of course, there was those that turned away from him. Why? Was it because he didn't have a pleasing personality? Because he couldn't uh, uh, modulate his voice properly? Because he didn't have the right uh, hairstyle? No, it's because the cost was too high. The cost was too high. The rates were too demanding. And that's where we are in the church today. People settle for mediocrity. People settle for average. People settle for just getting by. People settle for, oh, well, if brother so-and-so is just doing this, then I'm just going to do enough to get by. Instead of pushing themselves and becoming better. That is the anticipation of mediocrity. But second, let's look at the empathy. Antithesis of mediocrity. I don't think a child of God can go to heaven by being mediocre. I don't believe the Bible holds one ray of hope to a man who is comfortable in his comfortableness. I don't believe in his security, secure of his security, who feels like he has achieved and arrived. But I believe as long as you are growing, you need to continue to grow. But when we are ripe and rotten is when we are when we become mediocrity. I want to give you three things of a dynamic Christian. We're talking about not being mediocre. So how can I as a Christian make sure in my life that I'm excelling, that I have the dynamics of an excellent Christian? Number one, the courage to care. The courage to care. Do you have the courage to care? Do you have the courage to care about the lost? You know, we go all the way all over the country, and I'm I'm guilty of this as well. To tell the people of Africa, Latin America, Honduras, all over the world. We go all over and drive these countries. Why? Because we have the courage to care there. But what about in our own country? Do we have the courage to care here in the United States? What about the lost? Do we have the courage to care about the lost? How many of you won to Christ this year? Are you concerned about the teenager that has never been baptized? And to cry for about the husband or wife that has never obeyed the gospel. Do you really care enough what it takes to win their soul? It takes very little courage to drop money in the plate for a missionary to go. But Jesus told us to go. And we need to go. I personally have traveled quite a long distance to go preach the gospel in foreign lands. But I'll be the first to tell you that a man doesn't have to have doesn't have to go all those ways to have the courage to care. What about the courage to care to your neighbors, to those that are across the street, those that you love and come in contact with every single day? But secondly, do you have the courage to care about those who have fallen away? You know, reading James chapter 5, that the sinner that converts the error from his way has turned a multitude from sins. Do you have the courage to care about them? Do you have the courage to care to send them a card saying, hey, I miss you? Maybe a phone call this week saying, hey, we want you to come back. You have the courage to care about them. You have, you have, do you, can you rise above mediocrity because you have the courage to care? So we've got to have that characteristic. If we're going to be an excellent Christian, we've got to have the courage to care. Because I think that too many times in Christians' lives, we just sit back and say, hey, somebody else will take care of it. Oh, so brother, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so will take care of that. Instead of having the courage to care and step up and be the man, like they say in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 22, verse 30, be willing to stand in the gap, to stand up for God's word and have the courage to care. 
What about the dare to dream? This is the second characteristic of an excellent Christian. The dare to dream. You know, many times we have set our, our goals too low and we don't have the dare to dream. You know, we, we set our goals at the bottom instead of shooting for the stars. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly above, above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Listen to that verse again. Paul is saying here, Now unto him that is able, who is that? Of course it is God. God is able to exist exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. You know what God is saying here in this passage? I am able. I am ready. But you're going to have to do the work. God is able. God is ready. But we gotta do the work. You know, we have dreamed big in Latin America. We have dreamed big in Africa. We've dreamed big in India. But what about here in the United States? Have we ever dreamed big in the United States? You know, I remember when of hearing stories about Latin American missions when it opened. You know, they started this congregation, then they started this congregation, they started this congregation, and just before Noah. You had this school of preaching there with all these different school people coming in to learn how to preach so they could go to these congregations to be preachers. You know what happened? They had a dare to dream. They had a dare to dream. Do we have the dare to dream in three years to double in size? You know, we know the phrase, the slogan, everyone win one. But it's more than slogans to take be able to do that to get it done. We have learned that it takes... More than slogans. It takes sacrifice. It takes selflessness. And it takes service. If we're going to have the dare to dream. It's not just going to be. Oh I'm dreaming this up. But it's going to have to put those dreams. And putting our minds to work. Putting our bodies to work. To do these things. You see the great things that have accomplished. Throughout the brotherhood. Or the thing, Just think about the great things that have happened in the world. About it. Somebody had a big dream right. But it wasn't the dream that got it done. It was their willing to work. To get that dream done. Their desire to get that going. But think about that phrase. Double in size every three years. You can double in size every three years. If each child of God in your congregation converts. One person. In the next three years. Now if you do it in one year. That's great. But over the three years. I think that's a realistic expectation. Over the next three years. One child of God converts that. By that same rate. You'll be doing twice as much mission work. And helping twice as many orphans. Phil Brooks said, Sad will be the day for a man when he becomes content with the thoughts he thinks and the deeds he is doing where there is not forever beating at the doors of his souls and desires to do something large which he knows meant to be done. Think about that. Think about the courage to care. Do you have that? Do you have the dare to dream? And then thirdly, do you have the willingness to work? The dynamics of a Christian. Yes, you gotta, you got to have the courage to care. Because if you don't have the courage to care, guess what? You're not going to dream. But in order to dream, you got to be willing to work. All three of these go together. It's not like you, you can have one without the other. You've got to have all three of them together. We cannot just be visionary people. If there are no willingness to join in our hearts, our hands, and our eyes, then the Lord's church will perish in one generation. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10. There Paul said, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Notice there, we are created for what purpose? For his workmanship. 
do His good works. There are four things I want to look at in order to be the willingness to work. And and really, these are four different areas of the Lord's church in which we need to to do for uh, for, uh, positions, you might even say, for offices of the Lord's church. In order, if we're going to be willing to work, we got to do number one, we got to have mighty ministers. Mighty ministers. We need to be with. We need to have men who are going to preach the word without fear and favor. There are too many congregations where the word of God is just being thrown out, where it's just being used every once in a while. It's maybe used as a good feel good saying, but it's not preached and taught like it needs to be taught. And we know we know this from from area congregations. They have taken the word of God and just put it to the side because feelings went about. But friends, we need mighty ministers that are willing to preach the word. Second Timothy four. In verse number two, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, approve, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. What about first John chapter two and verse number nine? Let's flip over there. First John chapter two and verse nineteen, excuse me. First John two and verse number nineteen. There John says, And they went out from us, but when they were none of us, for if they had been of us, they would have Continued with us, but they went out that they might be, might be manifest that none of them were of us. Of course, they're talking about preaching. We need to preach the word just like they did. We need to be a mighty, mighty ministry. You know, I know this congregation is looking for a full-time man. And when we look at, for a full-time man, we need to look for somebody that is going to be a mighty minister. I, I've, I've said this before. And congregations, and if you're going to find a mighty minister, I think he needs to have three areas. Number one, he needs to have ministerial abilities, meaning he is a good minister. He is a good servant of Jesus Christ. The idea of minister means he is a servant. Secondly, he needs to be an evangelist, meaning he is going to fill the role of an evangelist, do the work of an evangelist. Second Timothy chapter four also tells us that. But that is, he's going to teach the lost. He is going to teach and convert the souls and hearts of men. But also, he is he's a minister, he's an evangelist, and he's a preacher. Man, he's going to stand in this pulpit and preach the gospel. I think there is a difference between somebody that is an evangelist and somebody that preaches. They can be an evangelist from this pulpit, yes. But somebody that gets out from this pulpit is an evangelist teaching the lost. We need a man, mighty ministers that are able to be able to do all three. Sadly, in today's society, we're lucky if we find somebody that has one characteristic. But if you can find a man that has all three, you're finding a great, mighty minister. Secondly, the thing the church needs the most for people willing to work is enlightened elders. Enlightened elders. We read the qualification of elders there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 7, also Titus chapter 1, about how we need to have enlightened elders. How that we need to have men that are qualified, that are able to uh, overlook the congregation, but fulfill the role, fulfill the work of a shepherd. Acts chapter 20, and there Paul calls together the Ephesus elders, and he talks to them, and he talks to them pretty bluntly. He says, hey, there's going to be some of you among you that's going to be ravenous wolves. But he says, take heed to yourselves and to the flock, Amongst which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to shepherd, to feed, to oversee, to tend the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Friends, we need mighty ministers, but we've got to have enlightened elders. We've got to have dedicated deacons 
what to do. Many times, sadly, in the Lord's church, the preacher does the job of the elders, the elders do the jobs of the deacons, and the deacons just sit back on the coats of the deacon, of the preacher and the elders. And that's sadly what happens because why? We settle for mediocrity. We settle for these things that, hey, just going to do enough to get by. Instead of elders being elders, deacons being deacons, and preachers being preachers. You might be saying, well, I'm not a minister. I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. This last one is characteristic that we all need to have. And that is a faithful follower. A faithful follower. When you look to the Bible, you see nothing but men in Hebrews chapter 11 that were faithful followers. Whether it was the Old Testament, which all of them were, but over there in the New Testament, they were faithful followers. And that's what we can be. When you, when you think about what can describe me as a Christian, I hope there's one word that comes to mind. Faithful. Faithful followers, meaning, hey, I'm going to give my best. I'm going to be there when I can be there. I'm going to give it my all because I'm a faithful follower of His. Jesus said in Revelation 2 and verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee the crown of life. There in that context, of course, He's talking about being faithful unto death. He say, hey, I'll be willing to give my life for this. Being a faithful follower. Are you a faithful follower of Christ this morning? Have you been faithful? Or have you settled for mediocrity? Have you been saying, you know what, I'm just going to do enough to get by. I've checked my, I've checked my box. I've been here. I've done what I need to do. I'm good. Or have you been daring to dream? Courage to care. Willingness to work. Have you been doing those things? This morning. Do you have that courage to care? Do you have that dare to dream? Do you have the willingness to work? Are you a faithful follower of Christ? Maybe you're here this morning. You're not a Christian. You can become one. You can become that faithful follower. By simply obeying the gospel plan of salvation. you got to hear the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. you got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Hebrews 11 and verse number 6. You've got to be willing to repent of your sins, Acts 17 and verse number 30. You've got to be willing to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Acts 8 verse number 37. You've got to be willing to be buried in water grave of baptism. That is fully submerged, Colossians 2 and verse 12. To have your sins forgiven, Acts 2 and verse 38. To be saved, Mark 16, 16. But have we settled for mediocrity? Have we just been doing enough to get by? Are we doing our best? I want you to compare your physical life versus your spiritual life. Maybe you've been, if you, if you just compared your spiritual life, saying, you know what, if I did this at my job, I'd be fired. And we settle for mediocrity in our spiritual life, the most important thing in our lives. And we don't need to do that. If, we, if you need any help this morning, if you need prayers of repentance, if you need prayers of faith, or whatever it may be. We'll be glad to pray with you and for you. If we can help you anyway, come now as together we stand and as we sing.